Chapter 5, Episode 5, A Blow to the Solar Plexus. Tina's defeat left me devastated. I plunged to the bottom. My spirit sank like the Titanic. I wrote nothing, not a single word for mornings upon mornings. My underwood collected dust with a blank sheet of paper waiting in the carriage. It seemed to take all my strength to walk to work at the Lawson YMCA on Chicago Avenue. I became grateful for the long, quiet morning walks. They cleared my mind as I struggled to reconcile the fairness of it all. It seemed so unfair that Tina did not win, and on another frequency that I was denied an unknown opportunity for who knows what. I sank in an ocean of what-ifs. The moments in my room became boring to the bone. But late one afternoon, as I sat staring out the window of my room, seeing only the brick wall of another tall brick building, seeing only bricks and nothing more, the phone rang and kept ringing as if someone was pleading, Oh, operator, please keep trying. I know he's suffering up there alone in that room. I forced myself up from the soft cushions of the chair and slouched towards the ringing phone. When I lifted the receiver from his cradle to silence the persistent ringing, I heard a man's voice calling my name. Dolphus Q? Hello, is this Dolphus Q? This is Mr. This is Dr. Banerjee. I had forgotten that I had responded to an ad that Dr. Banerjee had placed in the Chicago Maroon, the campus newspaper at the University of Chicago. The advertisement had sought short stories, articles, fillers, and poems. He explained he was a college professor from India, that he was publishing a new magazine called Suburbia. He planned to use short fiction as the backbone of suburbia. He explained, fiction is slowly dying in America because American publishers are only interested in publishing the truth. I want to revise the golden age of fiction. My goal is to hide the truth behind fictitious stories. He urged me to send all the short stories I had. He was certain he could use them, and most certain the best one would be included in the premier issue of his magazine in December. My spirit rose like a humpback whale, breaking through the ocean's foam, coming down with a huge splash, spraying droplets of water into the air and creating shock waves in all directions. I certainly saw success, but in doing so, I thought of Sam Johnson's words about the blockhead. I brought up the topic of compensation. I laid three offers on the table, a price per words, per page, or per story. 
Dr. Banerjee did not like my metrics and suggested that the greater compensation was a possibility of becoming a famous writer. Dr. Banerjee was not some starry-eyed dreamer. He knew suburbia wouldn't take off like a rocket and become profitable overnight. However, he clearly saw success in the long term and was positive that success waited somewhere straight ahead. What he needed was a group of dependable writers who wrote factual fiction. He assured me that whoever still stood with him when success was attained would be well rewarded. Who knows? The stories you publish in suburbia may make you a wealthy writer someday. You may thank me on your knees for giving you this opportunity. I agreed to send what I had written for the greater compensation. I hurriedly gathered all the stories I had completed or those that were close to completion. I reverted to my old habit of rising early and starting to write. However, I changed my afternoon routine. Instead of returning to my room to sit by the window and stare for hours at bricks, I sat at the underwood hammering out words and pages of words until darkness hid the bricks from the window. I wrote steadily and within weeks switched to editing, rewriting, and literally cutting and pacing and using bottles of whiteout. When the compilation of words was completed, I had nine short stories. I experienced a choking amount of pride as I held the manuscript in my hand. At last, it seemed I had tangible proof that I was a writer. I titled the manuscript, Nine Shots from a Novice Pen. I was so moved by the manuscript, I added a preface before mailing the envelope to Dr. Banerjee. Preference to Nine Shots. My father worked as a plumber's helper. One day, my father was told to climb down into a ditch. Shorty, go down there and cap off those fittings before they get covered up. The ditch was as deep as a grave. Dirt was piled high on one side. In the ditch, several cut-off pieces of four-inch pipe jutted up to a height of four feet from the muddy bottom. My father started towards the ditch with a collection of the tools he needed in his hand. The fastest way down the ditch was over the dirt pile, but on his way down the pile, my father lost his footings. Hey, look out, shorty! The dirt pile was soft and slippery. Despite desperate gyrations to maintain his balance, my 
father fell forward downward into the ditch. But his boots never touched the muddy bottom. His descent was halted by the jutting pieces of pipe scraped to his solar plexus. Luckily, my father survived. I hope the nine stories I have written will not hit your gut as hard, nor be as painful to read. But if they fail to move your needle of consciousness one iota, then as a writer I have failed. That indeed would be a hard blow to my solar plexus. It would indicate that I am not the writer I believe myself to be. Your interpretations of what I have written are as valid as mine. A fact has crept upon me from the dark side of my mind, which I did not know existed until today, when the truth became inescapable. The truth gave clarity to one thing. It explained my melancholy to myself. I had fallen deeper in love with Tina since the last time I saw her after the campaign. I had not heard a word from her, nor did I expect to. Tina was among those things last on my mind. But when I saw her, after what seemed a long hiatus, the truth stared at me like a face in the mirror. I fought fiercely during our reunion to keep the truth hidden. Dear Tina, after seeing you yesterday and holding you briefly in my arms, I decided to write this letter to better understand the current state of my mind. Tina, to merely state I have fallen mad in love with you is an understatement. It does not describe the rush and swell of thoughts swirling through my mind. The thing I find peculiar is that it was not love at first sight. When I saw you at the press conference, you were only a lovely face and a sea of lovely faces. But that night at the garage changed everything for me. It all happened so fast, like a flash. It happened after your altercation with the attendant of the parking lot. After the three of us hurried to Jackson to catch a cab, we crammed into the first cab that stopped. You sat in the middle between Joan and myself. The tightness of the space for the sake of comfort forced me to put my arms around your shoulder. I remember the softness of your mink coat to my fingers. I kept my fingers there for the duration of the drive to your apartment. I remember st staring at you in the semi-darkness of the cab 
with slithers of white light constantly changing as the driver drove under the tracks of the elevated train. I felt like I was seeing, I felt like I had seen a hidden facet of your personality. It was like I was seeing you for the first time. The slithers of white light bouncing off your dark skin highlighted the features of your face, the alluring gleam of your dark eyes. The natural beauty I saw in your face could only be expressed with an artist's brush. I wondered why I had never seen you like this before. Suddenly I had a revelation right there beside me in the semi-darkness of the cab was the embodiment of all I desired in a woman. And at that very moment, I knew after you, all others would be anticlimactic. However, Cupid has decided to play a cruel joke on me. He has dangled something before my eyes they may as well not see, something I can never possess. I'm a pawn on the chessboard of life. As it stands, Forever, I can only dream about you and be grateful for the moments we shared. Love you madly, Dolphus. Notes from a desk, desk calendar underlined. April 1, April Fool's Day. Just called Tina, received no answer. How is that for what a fool believes he sees? Find, found that I can repay loan in installments. April 2nd, Wednesday. Write letters, take driving tests, and get a job driving cabs. Maybe tomorrow. April 3rd, Thursday. Did not go to work today. Disappointed about a pair of shoes. Did not take driving tests. Went to library and met. Dick Gregory in the elevator. Received phone call. Received phone call from Frank about 10 this evening. Received letter from Margot saying more between the lines than the lines she wrote. Write letters inquiring about loan. Took down envelope pen to curtain at window. Perhaps a sign I should take. Something else down. Tina's campaign poster above my bed. I think my foolish fantasy of frolicking forever with Tina has faded in the dust. As I slouch towards Bethlehem to be reborn. April 4th, went to Evanston this morning to see about Frank's book. No one answered the door. We'll try again. Things at work were slow. The usual suspects did not gather. It is a holiday. I called Gwen about purchasing a small quantity of weed. She was not at home or simply didn't answer the phone. Still agonizing about Tina. Thought about spending Easter service at St. Stevenson's at AME Church. But honestly, I don't know what I shall do. I spoke with Mr. Dan- with Mr. Daniel about a part-time job. I'm supposed to call him Monday 
night, then meet him on Tuesday at his home in Evingston. April 5, Saturday. I'm up early with wild, erotic thoughts about Tina stemming from a dream that still cleaves to my consciousness. I dream to prove my love, God ordered me to count each strand of hair that covered her head. I started my count with a smile. I think I may have fallen far beyond being in love. Went to see Gwen and got the weed I sought. Stayed at Gwen's until three. She told me that Tina had gone to Indiana to spend Easter with her family. Somehow, the knowledge made me feel better. Easter morning, 6.43 a.m. I'm not going anywhere but back to bed. April 7th, Monday. Go take driving tests. Be there before 8.30. Feel a little uncertain about this step. Back from DMV without driver's license. Same old story. Hard luck. Call Mr. Daniels, supposed to meet him tomorrow night to discuss the job he has in mind. Call Teresa Palmer, supposed to call next Thursday to check date for next Monday. April 8th, woke up sleepy and stiff as a board. Plan to make house calls today. I may return to DMV, have appointment for a job tomorrow with June. April 11th, Friday, received a call from Margot. She said she was coming over. I do not wish to see her. She refused to accept a negative answer. She has money and something to smoke. April 13th, Sunday. This morning, my head is bad. It tells a story of the time I had. Margot and I became embroiled in a battle royale of love and hate. We switched from one extreme to another. We fought and made reparations so many times until I could barely stand on my feet. During a breathless moment of weakness, I physically put her out the room, then had to listen to her shouting and beating upon the door. This is one relationship I must permanently terminate. No more mad Margos. Me think from hence I shall become highly selective in choosing of females as sources of intimacy. April 14th, Monday, went to work and learned of an employee and learned an employee of the Lawson YMCA had been struck by a bus and killed. He was from the Philippines. I never knew his name, but I saw him frequently in the dining room with his young wife or daughter. He seemed like a very nice guy in his early 60s. I wrote a poem to commemorate the unfortunate event. They say he was a nice guy. Underline. They said he was a nice guy. A few said it was a shame. A few cried and mourned. A few waxed like philosophers about God's eternal plan. I washed dirty dishes and thought of all the tears and trite 
testimonies of an earth that continues to spin when someone slips off the edge. They all said he was a nice guy. I politely turned my ears away. I pressed the button to start the cleaning cycle of the dishwashing machine. At the end of the cycle, the dirty dishes came out clean. April 15th, Tuesday. I dreamed about fishing last night, or more aptly, early this morning before dawn. I know to dream of fish means something, but exactly what I can't remember. April 21st, Monday, wrote a letter to Shirley in response to the one I received from her. Sent package home. April 22nd, got Mary Kay beauty kit from Miss Childress. April 26th, underlined. Dear Grace, now that you are back in the land of sunshine, or as President Reagan might say, well, you're back in the saddle again. How are you doing? I have put off writing until I had something good to say. Well, at last I do. A shower of good fortune has sprayed down on me. I am wet with happiness as if I were dancing in the rain like Fred Astaire. I don't know how to express the emotions on paper with words. The closest I can come is an interview I saw Muhammad Ali right after he had beaten George Foreman and regained the heavyweight championship title. Ali wagged a finger at the camera, hence to all his critics. You all said I was too old. You all said my legs were gone. Said I was through. But tonight I showed you. I shocked the world. It is with that same sentiment that I shout out the news. I have a student loan, $5,350 to study at the University of Chicago. I don't know the interest rate, but who cares at this date? I feel like a hand has lifted me from the waves of an angry sea. I expect to do well, however, I may have to ask you for a loan. But right now, I'm saving and surviving, and of course, I continue to write. I have a project on the drafting board, the drafting of a novel. I believe if I can stay focused and work diligently, I will have a rough draft by the end of August and hopefully forward you a copy of the manuscript. But from September onward, I shall be deep in my studies at the University of Chicago. Well, have you any great plans? I'm beginning to see a pathway through the confusion now that the major obstacle has been removed. How's your car running? I have found that I can get around quite nicely without a car, although it does take longer to get anywhere. How do you like living in Florida after living in Alaska? 
This time next year, I should be living high on the hog. My hope in the intern is to expose my writing to the world. I know after reading my manuscript, you may say, well, good luck with that one, kid. Still, I feel if I can overcome my fear and focus my attention, I will reach what I seek. I may exceed beyond what I seek. B.B. King sings a song that includes the line, I asked my baby for a nickel and she gave me a $20 bill. Who knows what God may give to me? I spent hours reading and rewriting what I have written written as I attempt to find my voice. Please do not ask me what that means because I do not know. But all successful writers appear to be blessed with a distinct style of using words, the building blocks of language which is relative which is readily recognized by readers. I suppose the readers hear something in the words that connect them to the prose or rhyme. I have not found my voice and I'm beginning to fear I am a writer without a voice or worse, a writer with nothing to say. Well, enough of my poorly, poorly worded theory on writing fiction. Besides, Edgar Allan Poe did a much better job. I know I have been verbose in this letter, and I hope reading it has not been boring. I wish you luck in whatever undertakings are in your future, and we'll look forward to hearing from you. So until then, take care. Love, your brother, Dolphus. And thus ends the reading of this episode. I invite listeners from all around the world to tune in next Thursday for the next reading of <laughs> this saga. And I ask you to please subscribe to this podcast and you can reach out to me at dolphusq at yahoo.com or qdolphus at yahoo. <laughs> dolphus at gmail.com. So until next time, I say so long.